Hello again, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Unknown Friends podcast today. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 23 this week. I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions, and I am delighted that you've joined me this week. Now, today's episode is, of course, the second of two episodes in which we are taking a look at the American author Lloyd Alexander and his best-known works, The Chronicles of Prydane. Last week, in part one of our discussion, I talked about Lloyd Alexander's life story and a bit about his personality, and we looked briefly at the composition of the Prydain Chronicles in the 1960s, right after Alexander had first started writing children's fantasy, and I concluded the episode by quickly introducing the central characters of the books. Tyron, of course, our hero, his friend Ilanwi, his faithful attendant Gurgi, and his comrade and guide Fluter Flam, who may or may not resemble the author Lloyd Alexander himself. So today we will be moving on and getting an overview of the storyline of the whole series and how each of the five books thickens the plot and then we'll spend some time exploring the themes that Alexander conveys through this series and the worldview he demonstrates. So if you haven't yet listened to part one, I suggest you do so before you come back to today's episode. But if you have already heard last week's episode, then let's press on. So first question we should address. Uh, what happens in these books? Taran grows up, right? That's about all I said last week as to the storyline. Um, Taran grows up and he fights evil. So let's start at the beginning. Taran lives in the imaginary Wales-like land of Prydane, and Taran is an assistant pig keeper. Not even the head pig keeper, but assistant pig keeper. So that's nice. Actually, although young Taran doesn't really appreciate the fact, in all truth, it is kind of a position of some honor, uh, because the pig he helps tend is an oracular pig. She's named Hen Wen, and she has powers of prophecy. As you can already tell, Lloyd Alexander had a sense of humor. Anyway, Taran doesn't have parents anymore. And he's being raised by a 329-year-old enchanter named Dalben, and educated by a retired warrior-turned-farmer named Call. They all live on what's basically just a farm, and the place is known as Ker Dalben, named after its master, the enchanter. Now, Taran doesn't think much of his life at Cairdalban, looking after Henwen and learning how to forge horseshoes and tending chickens and bees and things like that. He is young and impetuous and wants to be a war hero. He wants to be a noble swordsman like the great lords and warriors he hears stories about from Colin Dalben. So this is the situation. And then the first thing that goes wrong in the Chronicles of Prydain that sets the storyline of book one into motion is that Hen Wen, the oracular pig, runs away. Forces of evil are stirring in the land of Prydain, and Hen Wen senses this fact and panics and breaks out of her pen and disappears into the forest, with Taran vainly trying to chase her and catch her. 
but he soon loses track of her and then encounters and barely escapes an evil warrior known as the Horned King, who wears this, um, like, stag skull mask thing with antlers. It's it's kind of creepy. But Taran is rescued by none other than Lord Gwydion, one of the real-life heroes he has heard legends about and admires. So that's pretty cool. And, uh, oh, by the way, all this happens in the first, like, 15 pages of the first book, so I am not giving away any spoilers. Um, the Chronicles of Prydain are paced pretty quickly. They cover a lot of territory fast, so yes, all this happens in just the first two chapters. Anyway, what evolves is that Taran must accompany the noble warrior Lord Gwydion because he too happens to be in search of Henwen. He had been headed toward Cairdalben to consult the oracle, but now that she's run away, the two of them, the warrior and the pig keeper, must try to track her down together. Now, along the way, lots more happens, of course. They find a legendary sword, Taran gets captured and imprisoned, and does his best to escape, though of course, escapes never go as planned. And he and Gwydion meet some of the key characters of the series along their journey. The strange creature, Gurgi, who eventually becomes a faithful companion, and high-spirited Ilanwi, who's being trained as an enchantress but is quite ready to rebel against the cruel woman who's training her. And, of course, wonderful Fluter Flam, the minor king-turned-bard whose magical harp snaps strings whenever he stretches the truth too far. So, overall, the storyline of this first book in the Chronicles, which, by the way, is titled The Book of Three, I don't think I mentioned that yet, it is about Taran pursuing Henwen and trying to keep her and her magical powers from falling into the hands of the wicked horned king and his master, the Death Lord Aran. So, of course, one adventure leads to another throughout the book, and we culminate in a battle, as fantasy novels usually do. And also, of course, the good guys win in the end, for now. But of course, after the Book of Three comes the second installment in the series, titled The Black Cauldron. And I kind of think this might be the darkest of the five books, actually. So, so here's the thing. I hope no one's too disturbed by this. The biggest, baddest bad guy in the Chronicles of Prydain is Aron, the Death Lord. And he has this army of what are essentially, um, like, zombies. <laughs> They're called the Cauldron-born, because Aran has this enchanted black cauldron that basically brings dead people to life again. So Aran has this whole army of deathless warriors. Now, all this is super creepy and terrible, I totally agree, and I realize this this may sound like something super disturbing that you wouldn't want your kids to read. Um, but since I'm here to try to give you as accurate an understanding as I can of what these books are really like, I will just say I think Lloyd Alexander handles this creepy stuff very well. 
He does not explore it. He does not glorify it. Um, he doesn't even describe it much. He maintains distance between the reader and this kind of evil. So while the good guys occasionally encounter these cauldron-born warriors in battle, those encounters are always brief, and there is never in these books any fascination with evil, never any enjoyment of it. Good and bad are kept very distinct, and the good is accurately portrayed as beautiful and true and admirable and fascinating, whereas the bad is briefly but accurately portrayed as ugly and disgraceful and pitiful. So, all that said, um, I described the Black Cauldron as possibly the darkest of the Chronicles of Prydain, and yes, in part this is because it deals with the good guys journeying into enemy territory and fighting the Death Lord's evil servants, and ultimately trying to find and destroy this magical black cauldron that creates the undead warriors. But the darker tone also comes from deeper character development that Lloyd Alexander brings into this second book of the Chronicles. So in book one, Taran was kind of foolish and reckless, and he did grow throughout the story, but he sort of always had a safety net. He usually had someone else he could rely on. In book two, Taran has to make a lot more decisions on his own. He's given more responsibility, and he learns the burden of responsibility. And then two, um, new characters are introduced that both complicate the storyline and complicate Taran's development as a person. So you have um, a new character who is a good guy, but has some really deep flaws, which challenge Taran. You have another new character who is a great guy, who Taran looks up to and learns from, but then loses. So all in all, you have trickier things going on in the Black Cauldron, things that challenge Taran in new ways. Treachery and false appearances, loss, death, and huge sacrifices demanded of pretty much everyone, Taran included. So it's a, it's a lot of different things that combine to give this book a more somber tone, certainly, than, than book one. And I would be tempted to say more than perhaps any of the other chronicles. It, along with book four, is the book in which I think Taran grows the most, so that's certainly a big part of what's going on. Anyway, moving on, um, I'm going to have to give less and less detail about each of the five books as we go to avoid ruining surprises in the series. But uh, generally speaking, book three is, I think, a bit lighter again. It's called The Castle of Lear, and it goes in quite a different direction from the previous two books. So Ilanwi is beginning to grow up, and she is technically a princess by birth, and needs to be trained to be a lady because she has not yet received such training. So we meet several new characters again. Um, accompanied by Taran and Gurgi, Ilanwi journeys to the Isle of Mona, which will be her new home for the next few years. And they all meet the king and queen there and the entertainingly inept Prince Rune, 
whom Taryn struggles to feel much compassion for. Uh, but things quickly go wrong. Ilanwi is put in danger, and Taryn and his companions must rescue her. Then book four is called Taryn Wanderer. And interestingly, this is actually the final book that Lloyd Alexander added. Uh, now, I mean, he actually wrote the fifth book last, but as I mentioned last week, he had planned to write just four books, which would have been what are now books one, two, three, and five. But after Alexander finished book three, his editor said it felt like some development was missing between book three and what was planned to be the final book. So Alexander then wrote what became book four, Taran Wanderer, as a kind of bridge between book three and the final book that he already had in mind. So for that reason, Taran Wanderer does stand out a little from the other books in the series. Uh, I really enjoyed the book, and I do think we would lack something very important from the story of the whole series if we didn't have this book. It basically provides another opportunity for Taran to grow a lot, which he still needs, even though he has matured quite a bit over the course of the first three books. But he still has some growing to do. So the plot of book four is kind of episodic, but the overarching goal is that Taran sets out to discover who he is and where he came from. He has never known his parents, he doesn't even know if they're living or dead, and he wants to try to find them if he can, or at least find out who they were. So he embarks on a journey throughout the diverse land of Pridane, and what ensues is a series of only loosely connected adventures, which is why I call the book episodic. He meets warring kings, he meets bands of marauders, he meets a wicked sorcerer, he meets and trains under a blacksmith, a weaver, and a potter. And through it all, he is seeking his place in the world. And he slowly comes to understand himself and life better than he did before. So there are bad guys Taran must fight at different points on his journey. But while all the other books in the series relate to the big ongoing fight against Aran Deathlord and his servants, book four kind of stands apart from that struggle, that war, and allows Taran time to finish becoming a man, basically, and, and make his choices about his direction in life. I really enjoyed book four. It was different. You don't get as much of some of the delightful side characters. Ilanwi doesn't play a part at all, um, but I thought it was a really important and, and very interesting part of Taran's story. Anyway, then finally, in book five, titled The High King, everything comes to a climax. All our main characters and several minor characters from earlier in the series get reunited. The Death Lord is moving to try to take over the land of Pridane once and for all, and the good guys have to stop him if they possibly can. It's now or never. So it's cool to see all the different threads that Alexander has followed throughout the previous four books finally meet and get woven together into something really beautiful and surprising and satisfying in book five. There is sorrow, there's sacrifice, but there's also truth and beauty and purpose. 
and I think it makes for an excellent conclusion to a wonderful series. All right, so I took a little longer than I intended to describe what happens in the Chronicles of Prydain, but I suppose I wasn't thinking about the fact that I am discussing five books instead of my normal one per episode. But all that gives you an idea of what kinds of story elements are at play in this series and how the characters, especially Taran, develop over time, which is key in talking about the book's themes, and that's what we will conclude with today. Um, Lloyd Alexander described children's books as so-called children's books. He objected to the idea that children's literature is a genre in which an author cannot really explore serious things. He called it a very expressive and profound art form. And he said that for him personally, in books for young people, he was able to express his own deepest feelings far more than he could ever do in writing for adults. And I agree with him 100% that we need to take children's literature, or what is called children's literature, seriously. I certainly hope I never become ashamed to be an adult reading middle grade fiction, because some of the best literature out there was written for middle school age kids. Which honestly makes sense, because that is one of the most formative ages in life. So I can see why many wise and brilliant authors chose to explore the things that matter most through books written for children. So Alexander definitely teaches lessons that matter in his Chronicles of Prydain, and I appreciate that. Even though I would not call these books Christian, there are some essential moral absolutes that guide the characters into what is, for the most part, Christian behavior. Good is good, and evil is evil, and although the process of fighting against evil requires suffering and sacrifice, in the end, good always triumphs. One reviewer I read from who loved the Prydain books described them as square, by which I think he meant they are old-fashioned in a good way, and they're clean, very clean, no language, no excessive violence, um, no sexual or even sensual content, and they are centered on a reliable moral compass. And more specifically, um, I just want to read you some quotations from the various books in the series that illustrate a few of the kinds of moral life lessons that the characters learn. Honestly, I think Lloyd Alexander is pretty quotable, and some of these, at least the shorter ones, should be sayings that we use regularly. So we've got some solid, simple, you could say square, like that reviewer did, truths that Alexander does not try to dress up or, or complicate. So at one point he says, for instance, there is nothing like work to put the heart at rest. He says, if you want truth, you should begin by giving it. The characters also learn that what you may seek and what you may find are not always one. And also that for each of us comes a time when we must be more than what we are. Here's a good one, slightly longer, from Book 4, Taran Wanderer. Life's a forge. 
you'll be roasted, smelted, and pounded, and you'll scarce know what's happening to you. But stand boldly to it, metal's worthless till it's shaped and tempered. Face the pounding, don't fear the proving, and you'll stand well against any hammer and anvil. And then here's another quote that sounds rather Tolkien-esque. You should know there is adventure in simply being among those we love and the things we love. And then lastly, as far as the quotations go, I think if any one statement could sum up the overarching theme of the whole series, it would be this one from Book 5, The High King. Every man is a hero if he strives more for others than for himself alone. Straightforward, unpretentious truth. Every man is a hero if he strives more for others than for himself alone. I think that is the core lesson that Taran learns over the course of the series. Um, he learns many others as well along the way, but this is the heart of what makes him a man and a hero. Learning to strive for the good of others, even if that means sacrificing what would serve himself. So there's a lot of wisdom in these books, a lot of gems of insights into how life works and how we should think and conduct ourselves and treat others. Now, I mentioned Tolkien a moment ago, and I do just briefly have to compare and contrast the Prydain Chronicles with the Lord of the Rings and with the Chronicles of Narnia, because those two really defined fantasy for the modern world, and they established the genre on Christian foundations. But Prydain isn't quite Christian. As I explained last week, I'm not at all certain, but I get the drift that maybe Lloyd Alexander was not a Christian as an adult, and I haven't discovered whether he did fully ascribe to any one particular religion or philosophy. However, both existentialism and humanism are clearly strong influences on him. You can see them in his books. Whether you can strictly identify Alexander as an existentialist or a humanist, I can't say for sure, but both philosophies clearly permeate the Chronicles of Prydain. So existentialism essentially is the philosophy that how a person behaves and what he chooses and does defines him. He is not defined by some exterior force or whatever, but rather the individual and the individual's free will shapes his own destiny. Now, that's a very general definition of existentialism, and I am not remotely qualified to try to explain it in more depth. Um, but then humanism, sort of similarly, tends to deny any um, exterior, in the sense of divine, forces at work in the world. Humanism is a philosophy that is generally optimistic about human nature and about the capacity of human beings to help each other and um, kind of solve their own problems together. Interestingly, both of these philosophies have, you could say, Christian versions. Um, and if you, like me, are a Christian, you can probably imagine how elements of both these philosophies would coincide with Christian belief. Uh, the importance of our actions and our conduct, personal responsibility, and then also the, the primacy of relationships and community and serving one another. But strictly speaking, they are not 
Christian philosophies. So all that to say, the Chronicles of Pridane, while it teaches many, many true lessons that reflect Christian beliefs about how we should live our lives, it seems to be coming to those lessons from a somewhat different source. From, at least in part, the influence of these secular philosophies. And while I found very little content in the Chronicles of Pridane that I would disagree with from a Christian perspective, what is lacking in this series is the divine. There's no God, there's no religion, really, for the characters in these stories. There doesn't seem to be a suggestion of any kind of afterlife. So while I think the vast majority of the themes Lloyd Alexander explores here are true, they just don't portray what I would consider to be the whole picture. There's a layer of truth completely missing. And that layer happens to be the foundation layer of life in my worldview. Um, and that layer is the divine. So I explain all that to say, ultimately, I think these are good books. I didn't find really anything objectionable in them. They just aren't enough on their own. Uh, they don't give a satisfactory explanation for why good is good and evil is evil, or for how we can possibly sustain moral behavior through the hardships of life. For that, I believe we need God. So that is the main reason why, to bring us back to Tolkien and Lewis once more, I think Pridane is not on the same level as either The Lord of the Rings or Narnia. Obviously, writing style also comes into play if you're comparing those different works. I think Alexander is a good writer, but Tolkien and Lewis, in their very different ways, are, in my opinion, both superior writers. But most importantly, the Lord of the Rings, to some extent, and definitely Narnia, incorporate the divine in their fantasy worlds, and that makes a vast difference. They are actually able to portray the whole picture of life, not just defining moral excellence, but showing the source and sustenance of moral excellence. So, in short... If you have not read Tolkien or Lewis, definitely start there. It's much more important, in my opinion, to read those than the Chronicles of Pridane. But if you're looking for other sort of similar works of children's fantasy, Lloyd Alexander's books would be a great option. Pridane is very wholesome children's literature, and both the good lessons it teaches and the Christian elements that it lacks would provide awesome material for discussion with your kids. Um, after you've read Narnia, I think this would be a fantastic series to read aloud as a family and talk about. And you could look in more detail at how it's similar or different from Lewis and Tolkien's stories. I need to wrap up for today, but I hope that review was helpful and thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed these two episodes on the Chronicles of Pridane. And if you have thoughts about this series, I would love to hear from you. You can always message me on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're a patron, on our Patreon website, patreon.com slash unknownfriends. Now, next week, I am excited to bring to you guys a very different book, a memoir from the early 20th century 
titled Father and Son, written by Edmund Goss about his childhood and upbringing in a devout and rather strict fundamentalist Christian home in the mid-1800s in England. It is a really fascinating book, so much to think about along the lines of religion and theology and parenting and science and art and more. So I hope you'll join me again next week for this review of Father and Son. As always, I am your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and you can learn more about me and my writing at kittywamproductions.com. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week. Music